Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. And, uh, you know, like I said, we just came out of VBS, so if you look around and you see some people that look like zombies a little bit, uh, they were probably helping with VBS this last week, and uh, it was a really, really great time. I know several of you have already asked me, you go, hey, John, how was your trip to Israel? And um, I'll just answer now. Like, it was wonderful and it was amazing. And some of you said, are you going to talk about that this morning? The answer is no, I'm not going to talk about it this morning. Um, but we are going to continue our, our new life series as we go through 2 Corinthians. Don't worry, I'll talk about it at times, you know, when the, when the time is appropriate uh, and those kinds of things. But uh, we're going to continue our series in 2 Corinthians. So grab your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 uh, this morning. And, um, and, and we're going to hear from, from, uh, from God's Word this morning there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab a phone, download a, a, a Bible app. There's tons of free ones. And uh, paid ones as well if you want to get something a little nicer, but I um, encourage you to do that. Let's pray before we dig into God's word this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much. You are good uh, to us. You have been so good, and you have given your son, yourself, your son, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice on the cross. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can gather here uh, this morning to worship and glorify you. But Lord, as we look at this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, I pray that our minds would understand well message that you would have for us this morning. And I pray that our hearts would embrace that message in our lives. I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Raise your hand if you've ever had surgery. Had surgery? Yeah. And, and probably some of us have had multiple surgeries, right? And surgery is kind of one of those, one of those things. Some people are, are, are really, you know, they, they don't like surgery. They want to avoid it at all costs. You know, they, they find out they're going to have an they have an injury or something. Oh, I might have to have surgery, but they'll go to physical therapy. They'll do all kinds of stuff to, to avoid it. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious, though, because um, I'm not like that. I'm actually more, more a little bit like this. I'm like, oh, you can fix it with surgery? Like, when can we get done? You know, I, uh, anybody, anybody else like that? A little bit, yeah, a few of you. Like, I'm like, oh, let's just get it done, man. Let's just get, get it fixed, right? Um, it's, surgery is an interesting thing, though. You think about what happens in a surgery. I mean, that's an intentional wounding of the body, Right? I mean, that is, a, that is somebody, hopefully, who has some skills, some competencies, right? They've, they've gone to school to learn how to do this, and, and, and they literally, intentionally wound your body for the sake of healing. And, and you think about that, and it's, it's, it's a little bit of an oxymoron in our minds. But I, I would define surgery this. Surgery is the intentional wounding of a person for the sake of bringing about healing. We have, um, we have uh, Pete and Sandy Peterson and uh, I don't know, some of you know who they are, and they were long, they've been longtime members at Grace, but then they moved back, or they moved to the uh, Western Slope a while ago, and they, they've been living out there for a while, and then not long ago, a couple months ago now, uh, Sandy was flight for life here back to Denver, uh, because she had some heart issues, and, and her heart was in really, really bad shape, and uh, many, of, many of you prayed for them along, along with me, and, and, and were very concerned about them. She gets back to Denver, and they decide she actually needs, it was started out with maybe she needs a new valve, and it actually ended up being, no, she needs a whole new heart. And, and you know, things were, she was in bad shape as far as her heart was concerned. And, and we began to pray for her, and uh, I went over to the hospital and prayed for her, and, and actually the day that I went over to the hospital and prayed for her, this has nothing to do with my prayers being special, by the way. Um, I just, you know, God works when he works. But, um, but, but I went and I prayed for her, and they, they were trying to get her metrics to a certain point so that they could put her on the transplant list. And, and within a number of hours after I left, um, they were able to get the metrics down, get her on the list. And, and within four hours of being put on the list, they had a heart. 
Now, I don't know if you know how that works, but that doesn't happen. Like, that, that never happens, not that fast. It wasn't quite a record, but it was very close to being a record for that hospital to have somebody go on the list and then get a heart that fast. It, it, was, it was amazing. And, uh, and I, I can't attribute that to anything other than a, a, a praying church and a God who, who answers prayer, and, and, I, and it was amazing. But here's a, here's a really cool thing. They, they put the heart in the next day. And then now, uh, that was about two months ago, they put the heart in. And of course, you think about that whole heart transplant. I don't know if you've thought about what that means. You know, they, they literally cut her chest and crack her chest open. They pull out the old heart. They put in the new heart. And all that goes on with that. And, th- and, then, they, and then they put her back together, right? And then there's that healing process afterwards. They told her this. They said, they said Sandy, you're gonna, you need to be in town in the Denver area for the next minimum minimum of three months you've got to be in the area because we've got to keep track and make sure the heart accept, or the body accepts the heart all these things right and so really concerned about it it's going to be a minimum of three months so just plan accordingly so friday they're at the black the block party and uh and we're talking a little bit and and sandy says this to me she goes she goes and pete, pete was there too and, she, and they go we're, we're convinced sandy said this i'm convinced that I got the heart of a 20-year-old marathon runner. <laughs> now, they don't know, just so no rumors, right? Like, that's just, they, they don't know who, where the heart came from, but that's, she's convinced. She's felt better than she's felt in, in a really, really long time. Now, here's the other thing that I was both excited and sad to hear. They also said, hey, John, we're going back home tomorrow. So the, yesterday, they left to be home. That was two months after the surgery. So the doctor said it's going to be a minimum of three months, and she's ready to go in two months. And, and the, the deal was they had, again, the metrics, how, how things were, her body was responding. It, that's amazing, isn't it? You think about that? Can we give God a round of applause on that one? You know, it, it's God answers prayers, and I don't know about you. I've been praying for them, and it's, and it's fun to hear that. But it's also interesting to think about this whole concept of, of, of surgery and what that is, and an intentional wounding for the sake of healing. And we, we kind of have that in our spiritual lives as well. As a matter of fact, I'd put it a little bit differently based on the passage that we're looking at today. I would, I would phrase it this way. A faithful friend wounds, and a wounded heart repents. A faithful friend wounds, and a wounded heart repents. Paul comes to this point in his letter to, to the church in Corinth, and starting in verse 1 of, of chapter 7, he says this. He says, Therefore, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts and that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness, and I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts from the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater 
than ever. As we, as we look at this passage this morning, it's, it's important for us to remember the context in which this is taking place, right? I mean, Paul had written an, a, a previous letter in 1 Corinthians, and we have that, and we read that, or we, we have that to read. And, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he deals with some pretty significant uh, sins that were going on in the church related to sexual ethics. And, and he's like, hey, you guys got to deal with this. There's some things happening in your church that are not okay. And, and, he, and he suggests church discipline, and then we have reference to this other letter that Paul, that Paul sent, sent, and we've called it the severe letter, and some, some people call it the, the letter of tears, right? Because it, it obviously caused a lot of um, hurt when he sent it. He sends this letter, and, and we don't know what's in the letter because we don't have it. We don't have it to read, but it's another letter that's made reference to in 2 Corinthians, and we've talked about that. But we do know this, that it caused some, some hurt and some, some pain for the church in Corinth and between Paul and them. And there was, there was re, the relationship was harmed in that process. But Paul is basically saying something along the lines of there's some things going on, you got to take care of them, you got to deal with them as a church, you can't just ignore these things. It's important that you handle these things. And so he writes this letter and it caused some relational issues. And then we have Paul's critics come along, and, and again, we see kind of his response. And in 2 Corinthians, up, up until this point, his critics had come along and said, listen, you can't trust Paul. You know, and they gave all these different reasons, and, 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 you know, you can't trust Paul, because look at him. He doesn't, he can't even manage his own life. He goes through all these difficulties and these hardships, and, and in their mind, in, in that culture in Corinth, if you went through difficulty and hardship, you couldn't possibly be following God. There was kind of a health and wealth gospel that these other, these critics of Paul preached. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It is God's grace in the midst of all of this that actually affirms that I am an, an apostle. And he kind of defends himself a lot up until this point in 2 Corinthians. And then there's this transition that takes place in the text today. And he begins to talk to them with a little bit of a different tone. But you, you understand as you look at their history that there had been a wounding that took place. That Paul, as an apostle, as a representative of Jesus Christ, as one who was, who was ministering to them and had ministered to them, and even planned on going back to visit them, but then held off on that trip because they, they needed to deal with some of these things first before he went back because he didn't want it to be this painful and, and hard visit again. And so he wanted them to deal with these things and address these things, and then he would come back and visit. He had, he had wounded them in a way. And you, and you think about that, and you, and you read what, you, what, what Paul wrote here, and you begin to recognize this, that a faithful friend wounds when necessary. A faithful friend wounds when necessary. You know, we live in a culture that doesn't really look kindly on that. As a matter of fact, what we're told is you're never supposed to wound anybody, right? I mean, not that long ago we had, uh, I put a graphic, I don't even remember which, which sermon it was, it was a number of weeks ago now, but we, put it, we talk about parents, parenting a little bit. And, and parents are, are told now, or, or believe now, some of them anyways, that what you do is you remove all obstacles from in front of your children. You make sure that they have nothing that stands in their way so that they have every opportunity to do what is, what is, what is, uh, what's in front of them. And then what you end up with is, with is adults that never grew up, right? I mean, you end up with, with people, with, with juveniles, if you will, who just got big. And now they can throw bigger tantrums because they've never been wounded in the right kind of way. And if we're going to be a faithful friend, we need to be able to wound people in all the right ways. Now, I don't know about you, 
I don't know all your personalities. I know my personalities. I'm a little bit of an aggressive person, an aggressive personality a little bit. And, you know, I, I, uh, and I see, okay, listen, you don't have to nod just because you agree, right? All right? That wounded me, man. <laughs> but I am a little bit, I do kind of have, like, I'm, I'm a little bit that way. I, I'm a little bit of aggressive personality. And, and so, I, you know, God's given me grace, I think, at times, and, and mercy, and, and worked through me in spite of my, my tendency towards that. And if you're like me, you hear a message like this, and you're like, you're like, I love this message, man. And you start going, I'm going to wound some people. I'm going to wound some people for Jesus. And all of a sudden, you're all excited because it all, you feel like you've been given license to go out and wound people. That's not what this is, okay? This message isn't about giving you license to be a Jesus jerk, all right? There is a, a, a time and a way and an appropriate place to wound in all the right kinds of ways. And, and we're called to do that. You begin to think about it, and sharing the gospel itself requires a wounding, doesn't it? I mean, I, I want you to really think about the gospel message and what that message says, because that message says this. It says there's something broken in our world. There's something broken in you. There's something broken in me, and that we're in need of a Savior. That's the gospel message. I mean, you, you think about that. If there is no wounding, right, if there's no impact of sin in our life, if it hasn't affected us, then the cross was the, the, the worst tragedy in the history of humanity. It didn't accomplish anything. Jesus being beaten and, and a crown of thorns being put on his head, the blood that dripped down his face, the cat of nine tails that was used to rip, rip the flesh from his body, the, the nails that pierced his hands and his feet, that all of that was pointless if sin didn't impact our life. It was all pointless. I think it was Christopher Hitchens, and he is not a fan of Christianity. He was not. A, he's, he's passed now, but, but he, he was a famous atheist and would debate Christians and all these things. And, and, and in one of his books, you know, God is not great is, is the book. And, and he, he said that the cross was, was like uh, the cosmic child abuse. And, and honestly, he's 100% right if sin isn't a real thing. If sin is not a real thing, if there is not a wound in our life that we have experienced that has impacted us, if there's not something that we need to be saved from, than it was. It was cosmic child abuse. It was horrible. Worst tragedy in, in the history of humanity. But if sin is real, if sin has impact, uh, impacted our life, if, if we have thoughts and actions that offend God, that offend His righteousness and His holiness, if we are in need of a Savior, then it was absolutely 100% necessary. There's a wounding that has, had to take place. Jesus didn't come to tell us that everything was okay, right? He came to heal the sick. He came to find the lost and bring them back to God. He was on a mission. A wounding had to take place. The gospel message itself requires, if we are to be faithful to the message, that we wound people before they understand, so that they can understand they need salvation. They need to be saved. They need to be healed from that wound. This has application in all kinds of ways. Application as far as a good, being a good parent. Has application when it comes to being a good church member. Has application 
when it comes to being a good citizen of our country. It has application in all kinds of ways. But our culture tells us something very different. As a matter of fact, here's what our culture tells us. Our culture comes along and says, look, you can't ever wound anybody, right? Like, you can't ever confront anybody with truth, with reality, because if you do that, then you're being offensive, right? And so, so our culture comes along and says, and says, look, not only can you not be honest about things and forthright about things, but you have to accept everything the way it actually is in the world. And, and can I just tell you something? That sounds so horrible on its face, doesn't it? I mean, you, you look at the world, I mean, just watch the news for 30 seconds. I mean, you look at the world and you go, it's broken. There's something wrong in the world. We, we're constantly fighting evil and injustice in our world, and we ought to. That's what we ought to do. But then at the same time, culture says, yeah, we have to fight this injustice, but you can't ever speak truth about certain things. You have to accept everything the way it is. And can I just tell you something? There's, God doesn't accept it the way it is. That's why there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's where our hope is. God does not accept the world the way it is. And quite frankly, God isn't accepting me the way I am, and he's not accepting you the way you are. He wants to transform us into something new. He wants to give us new life. But it requires a wounding first. But there's a tone change in Paul's letter as he writes to the church in Corinth in in this passage that we're looking at today. It started a little bit last chapter. If you go back to chapter 6, verse 11, it says this. It says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. And, he, and then he returns in, in, in verse 2 of chapter 7, and he asks the, the church of Corinth to reciprocate, right? He says, he says I want you to do this for us too. In, in verse 2 of 7, it says, Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have exploited no one. Notice Paul's heart here. In other words, he doesn't come and wound the church of Corinth and then stop there. He has a heart of openness, he has a heart of love towards the church. So maybe you know yourself well enough to go, yeah, I have a little bit of an aggressive personality. And I hear this idea of of speaking truth, and man, I grab onto that. I want to speak truth. And we even, you know, if you're like me a little bit, you even clothe it and you go, I'm, I'm going to do it in love, but there's really no love there. You know what I'm saying? Like you say it's love because what you do is you go, well, it's loving to tell the truth, right? Whoever said that, right? Come on, be honest. Raise your hand. Yeah, a couple of you. Oh, oh just, just two of us? Like I was raising my hand. I don't know. I bet a few more of you said that. Right? We go, it's loving to tell the truth. And that's just our way of justifying being offensive. Right? Then we're just going out and, you know, because the truth is our hammer and everything looks like a nail, you know? There's, ah! Beating on everything. But here's the reality. Paul's heart is a loving heart. Paul comes to the church in Corinth. It's out of kindness. It's out of concern. It's out of love. He comes in, in chapter 6, he says, my heart's open to you. I want to, I love you. I want to bring you in, right? And I hope that you'll do the same to me. Here's the thing. When we recognize something in this world that's broken and our and our temptation is to automatically fix it by telling the truth say on twitter or facebook or instagram or whatever right i know some some of you right you get on facebook you're like that's wrong 
you just offend everybody. And you probably have some friends. Hopefully, I'm not that person. But hopefully, oh, you probably have some friends that they do the same thing. All they do is they're just a hammer looking for a nail. And everything looks like a nail. And so everything wrong in the world, they're just correcting everything. And we have this tendency, we just want to correct it. We want to wound, 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 wound. But that's not what Paul does. Paul comes and says, I love you. Here's the thing I want you to hear. Start with the idea of loving people. And then figure out when and where and how to speak truth appropriately into their lives. And yes, sometimes that comes with the wounding, but you've got to wound in the right way. Because it's not for the sake of wounding that you do these things. You're doing it for a different reason. You're doing it so that there's a response. As a matter of fact, I would say this, a wound of a faithful friend brings godly sorrow, and that leads to repentance. The wound of a faithful friend brings godly sorrow, and that leads to repentance. As we look at what Paul wrote, we jump down to verse 8 of chapter 7. It says this, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, listen to his words, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see now that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to, to you, led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. The great temptation of the church over the centuries has been to focus on the wrong thing. And oftentimes it's, it's some of our more liberal churches, but not always. And what happens is this. We, they, they look at the world and they rec- rightly recognize something's broken in the world. And in the, in, the, in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, they used to call it, they, they used to call it the social gospel. Right? And the idea was this, that, that we, need, we, we want to help the poor. And that's, that's a good instinct. We ought to help the poor, right? What did Jesus say? Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me, right? The, the half-brother of Jesus reminds us in, in, in the book of James, he says, he says, true religion is helping the widows and, and, and the orphans, right? Over and over throughout Scripture, God is concerned about injustice, and there is a right response on our behalf on God's behalf, to respond to that and to minister to the poor, to the oppressed, to the hurt, right? As, as Proverbs puts it, to be a voice for the voiceless. That's a good and a right response. But the problem with the social gospel isn't that, they were, that, that the, those churches were looking to respond to those things, but that is they forgot the gospel part of that word. Some of those churches over the, over the centuries came to a point where they said, we're, we're just going to help the poor, we're just going to love people, and that's great, and that's wonderful, that's exactly part of what we should be doing. But they forgot the gospel, they forgot that it's necessary at times to rightly wound people in the right way so that they recognize their own need for a Savior, and they can repent and receive salvation. More recently, the terminology has changed, right? Now we don't, we don't say social gospel, we talk about we could talk about social justice, right? And, and the, the, you know, the idea that God is a just God is a biblical idea. God is absolutely 100% a just God. Should we be concerned about social justice? Yes, we should be concerned about social justice for all the same reasons that I just mentioned. 
Because to rightly reflect the justice of God, we need to be concerned about those things. But we can't forget the gospel. And we can't forget our dire need for a Savior. We can't forget that in order for us to really minister to people in an eternal way, we have to help them recognize their own fallenness, that I had to recognize my own fallenness, that you had to recognize your own fallenness, that, that there are things in our lives that are sinful and offensive to God, and that we need to come to a place where we experience godly sorrow. Because that leads to repentance. There's a, it's been kind of common in the counseling world, and, and, and I want to make this clear, there are great, wonderful, biblical counselors, so I'm, I'm talking on a very broad range here. And, and perhaps it's just my own perspective in, in my own interactions, but, but as I look at, at the counseling world, and I've seen counselors, and seen counselors can be very, very good, but in some more secular approaches to counseling, instead of recognizing that guilt and shame can actually be a good thing and propel us in a good direction, that there can be godly sorrow, that there can be a, a, a godly a guilt, if you will, instead what, what some secular counselors have come to do, they, they just look at a person and go, instead of helping you adjust your life so that you can experience goodness in your life, what they do is they come and say, I'm not going to help you adjust your life. I'm just going to help you not experience guilt and shame and sorrow. And just you can just keep doing whatever you're doing. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You see, we, in our culture, sometimes we say, no, you shouldn't feel shamed about anything. That's just not true. We absolutely, shame can be a good thing. Sorrow can be a good thing. Guilt can be a good thing. When we understand that there's something wrong in our life, and our response needs to be adjust our life and bring it into alignment with God's desire, God's righteousness, and when we do that, then we can look back and experience God's grace and kindness and mercy in our life. But we first must experience that godly sorrow that propels us, that propels us towards repentance, towards life change. And that's what God is interested in. The reality is this, that our lives are not acceptable to God the way they are. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why that's necessary. As you think about this contrast that Paul brings up between, you know, godly sorrow in verse 10 and worldly sorrow, godly sorrow brings repentance, right? Worldly sorrow brings death. You can, I can't help but think of Peter and Judas and the contrast between those two, right? You have Peter, a uh, disciple of Jesus, and, and Jesus tells him, hey, hey Peter, you're going to betray me, right? And I'll go, oh, Jesus, I'll never betray you. And you know the story. Three times. Three times. Peter, Peter betrays Jesus. I mean, you know, the, a young girl at a campfire basically comes, I, I know you, you're one of the disciples. Oh, no, no, not me. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. Three times he does this. And then later, Jesus comes back around, right? And he says, and, and he says Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Three times he does that. Why three times? Because of the three times that Peter denied Christ. He's reminding Peter, hey, there's something wrong. You, you, you betrayed me. But there's repentance, and there's forgiveness, and there's grace, and there's kindness. And he reminds Peter, but I love you, and I know you love me, now feed my sheep. In other words, there was shame and guilt that went along with that. But Jesus, in his grace, and his kindness, and his mercy, overcomes that, restores Peter. In other words, that godly sorrow led to repentance. 
Judas, on the other hand, responded very differently, didn't he? If you know the story of Judas, you know that he betrayed Jesus, right? He took money to basically set up Jesus' arrest, and then he was paid, and then, and then he feels guilt, and he feels shame, and, and, he, and he does what? He kills himself. He commits suicide. And then you read a verse like verse 10, and you go, and you go yeah, godly sorrow brings repentance, Peter. Worldly sorrow brings death, Judas. Now, it's not always so stark, the contrast between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Sometimes it's a lot more subtle. It's in, in our, in, in most, for most of us, it either puts us on a path where we will experience God's mercy and kindness and grace in our life, and we will move towards an eternity with a hope in the new heavens and the new earth for eternity future, or it puts us on a path where we will experience not only difficulty and shame and guilt in this life, but in the next life because it leads to eternal condemnation. It's not always so immediate as it was with Peter and Judas. But there is sorrow that brings repentance and there is sorrow that brings death. Let's just make sure that the sorrow that we cause or that we experience is the kind that brings repentance. Amen? If you wound, the idea is this. If you think about, okay, how does this all apply? You know, Paul comes, he wounds, but then there seems to be this repentance and, and now there's kind of a restoration, a new life is given to their relationship. But how does this apply to us? How do, how, what do we, what ought we think about this? The first thing that we ought to do is this. If you are going to be the one who wounds, if you are going to be the faithful friend who wounds, right, make sure you do it in a good, a right, a godly, and an appropriately tactful way, Okay? We ought to come alongside brothers and sisters, iron sharpening iron, right? Uh, spurring one another on, as the author of Hebrews puts it, towards love and good deeds. That ought to be our walk with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. To constantly come alongside each other, and sometimes that requires a wounding. But make sure you do it in a godly, a right, and an appropriately tactful way. We're not a hammer looking for nails, and everything looks like a nail. The second thing is this. If you are the wounded, let the wound lead to repentance and healing. It's, this takes a lot of humility. But the reality is this, that at some point in all our lives, someone should, if they don't, then it's a missed opportunity. Someone should come alongside us and say, hey, look, there's something in your life, man. You've got to take care of it. Right? Or, or look, you're, you're living a sinful life. Jesus died for you. You need to know the gift of salvation. You need to experience God's grace in your life. There's a wounding that takes place there for the sake of healing. And if that's you, if maybe you're being wounded this morning. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, you're going, well, I never really thought about this way, but yeah, there is some things wrong in my life. And John is talking about this wounding. He's the one wounding me. Maybe you're getting wounded this morning. Repent. Come to Jesus. Experience his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his love. His, experience that. Be made right with God. But that takes a certain amount of humility. The reality is this, though. We aren't much different from animals in this respect. You know, I just, just this morning, actually, I, you know, like I said, I've been experiencing some jet lag, so I was up really early s- this morning. And, um, and I saw a video, and this guy was, you know, people love these videos, right? Like, Maybe you've seen the one where the guy throws a ladder in a dumpster and a bear's able to crawl out. You guys ever seen that one? This morning I saw one where there's an eagle and he's, he's caught like up on top of some kind of 
pole. I don't really know. There's, and, there's a, and his foot's caught in a bunch of string, right? And the guy puts on these big, thick gloves because he's going to help release the eagle, right? And why does he need the gloves? Well, because the eagle's going to attack him. You start grabbing him, you're going to cut the string off, right? You're not, he's not out there harming the eagle, but he begins to, and that, and that thing starts freaking out. It starts to try to get away, and then it starts, you know, it bites at him or whatever. The same is true with, with animals, right? They get wounded, and even if your intent is to help, they don't know. They think you're attacking it, and so they respond by attacking you. That's how we often respond to God. God comes along, he sends somebody along in our life, and that person comes and says, and says you're wounded, you need help, and we just attack them. Don't attack me. Accept me for who I am. Right? But when somebody comes and wounds us, we need to have the humility and the humbleness to say, are they right? Is there something there? Do I need to repent? Do I need to be healed? It takes humility if you are the wounded to go through that. The church in Corinth showed great humility. And I've seen this in the church a lot. And I want to be careful here because no church is perfect, including and maybe even especially ours. Right? And the church will come alongside. Maybe it's a, a small group leader or a pastor or, or, or whatever it is. So the church will, will come alongside somebody and go, hey, there's something wrong in your life. Let's, let's fix this. We want to love you through this. And unfortunately, what often happens is, is that person will then go, they go, oh, you don't love me, you don't, you, you're not being right, to, you're not being good to me, you're treating me poorly. And so they either do, they do one or two things, they, they take off from your church and they go to the church down the street, because that's really easy, because there's lots of churches around. Or they just leave the church altogether. Because they go, you, you, you attacked me, and, and, and when it was really, it was, it was a wounding for sure, but it was a wounding with the idea of repentance and healing in mind, and then they just respond like, a, like an animal that's been wounded and cornered, and they attack and they attack and they attack. Sorrow, if it's godly sorrow, leads to life. It puts us on the path of life in the here and now, and the path of joy even in the midst of affliction. And it ultimately puts us on a path to eternal life. But you think about it, if you've been wounded even as a surgeon wounds a patient, right, or a faithful friend wounds another— Receive the way, the wound in a way that allows it to lead to godly grief and repentance. Verse 11, chapter 7 says this. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. In other words, he goes back to church corn and says, see what happened? Yeah, you were wounded, but see what it produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm— what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong or on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all of this, we are encouraged. In other words, the wounded became the healers. The wounded became the healers. Yes, they were wounded, but they received it, and then they healed with one another, and they healed their relationship with Paul, and now they're reconciling, and they're coming together as the body of Christ should. See what godly sorrow produced in you. The question is this, have you experienced godly sorrow, and what has it produced in you? And have you become the healer? If you were here this last week helping out in any way, or 
if you helped out in any way with VBS, would you guys stand right now? Go ahead and stand. Stand up. Healers, right there. Amen? Yes. healers and because i would suggest that those people have experienced a wounding and have received the salvation of jesus christ they know what they've experienced and so now they they pass it on to that next generation who needs to know desperately and this past week we so gently and carefully wounded right these children they can understand sin and they can understand that they need salvation and we so gently wounded them and megan did a great job of being paul which is a little weird i'm not gonna lie but she, she said, you know, she, she talked to them about Paul's journey, about Paul who once was Saul and persecuted the church. And, and Jesus had to wound him. Jesus had to come down and say, look, quit persecuting me. And then Paul became, excuse me, Paul became the healer, didn't he? The one that proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what the gospel message is for you. That's what a surgeon does as they cracked open Sandy's chest and put a new heart in her chest. They had envisioned what has happened now. I, I swear to you, and she looks amazing too. I mean, she looks like a totally different person if you've seen her. She's a totally different person. She's been healed. She's a, she was wounded so that she could be healed. That's what we're called to do to the world. When we walk out these doors, we don't stop being the church. When we walk out these doors, we bring with us the healing power of the gospel. And in, sometimes that requires a wounding of the world so that they can realize that they need to repent. And God can, tra- can transform their lives. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the goodness of your grace in our life. Thank you so much that not only have you wounded us by showing us our sin, but God, that you were wounded, that your son Jesus Christ was wounded, that that blood that was shed offered forgiveness and repentance and transformation of lives. Lord, help us as we become your mouthpiece to the world, as we become those who proclaim the good news of the gospel, but Lord, help us not to forget the gospel in doing so. Thank you so much for faithful friends and followers of Jesus who have wounded each one of us so that we could know the goodness of your mercy through the Son, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Pray these things in his name.